Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And I hope you'll visit their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. Uh, William is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. And we'll be talking about a number of things, current issues, including what's happening with uh, General Michael Flynn and Judge Sullivan. We'll also visit with Dr. George Markovich. He is an orthopedic surgeon. He was going to be on yesterday's uh, show, but he had a a medical emergency to deal with. Jesse Kelly is from the R Street Institute. We'll be visiting with her about uh, felon voting here in Florida. And Dave Dave Vigo is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is October the 2nd, and on this day in 1967, Chief Justice Earl Warren swore in Thurgood Marshall, the first black justice of the United States Supreme Court, as Chief Counsel for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. In the 40s and 50s, Marshall was the architect and executor of the legal strategy that ended the era of official race segregation. The great-grandson of an enslaved person, uh, Marshall, was born in Baltimore, Maryland in 1908. After being rejected from the University of Maryland Law School on account of his race, he was accepted at an all-black Howard University in Washington, D.C. At Howard, he studied under the tutelage of civil liberties lawyer Charles H. Houston and in 1933 graduated first in his class. In 1936, he joined the legal division of the NAACP, of which Houston was director, and two years later succeeded his mentor in the organization's top legal post. At the NAACP chief counsel, from 1938 to 61, he argued for more than a dozen cases before the U.S. Supreme Court, successfully challenging racial segregation, most notably in public education. He won nearly all of these cases, including a groundbreaking victory in 1954's Brown v. Board of Education of Topeka, in which the Supreme Court ruled that segregation violated the Equal Rights Clause of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution and was thus illegal. The decision served as a great impetus for the Civil Rights Movement and ultimately led to the abolishment of segregation in all public facilities and accommodations. In 1961, President John F. Kennedy appointed Marshall to the U.S. Court of Appeals, but his nomination was opposed by many Southern senators, and he was not confirmed until the following year. In 1965, President Lyndon Baines Johnson appointed Marshall to be Solicitor General of the United States. In this position, he again successfully argued cases before the Supreme Court, this time on behalf of the U.S. government. First, uh, Black Justice of the Supreme Court, Thurgood Marshall. Well, President Trump announced early Friday, about around midnight, that both he and First Lady Melania Trump tested positive for COVID-19 and they will quarantine at the White House. Now, apparently they're both asymptomatic and feeling okay. Uh, He he tweeted out, I tested positive for COVID-19. We will begin our quarantine and recovery process immediately, he tweeted. We will get through this together. And then Melania also tweeted, as too many Americans have done this year, uh, the President of the United States and I are quarantining at home and after testing positive for COVID-19, we are feeling good and I have proposed, postponed all upcoming engagements. Please be sure you are staying safe and we will get through this together, she tweeted. Uh, Dr. Sean Connolly, 
The uh, president's physician also confirmed Trump and the first lady's positive COVID-19 test. Meanwhile, Vice President Mike Pence early Friday tweeted offering prayers for the president and first lady. In a statement, White House spokesperson Judd Deere said the president takes the health and safety of himself and everyone he works with in support of him and the American people very seriously. White House Operations collaborates with a physician to the president and the uh, White House military office to ensure all plans and procedures incorporate current CDC guidelines and best practices for limited COVID-19 exposure to the greatest extent possible on both complex and when the uh, president is traveling uh, in the complex and when president is traveling, Deere said. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany tweeted that the strength in the entire country is with President Donald Trump and uh, First Lady of the United States. I uh, wish I could say that was true. A few unfortunate tweets, but irrespective, it's a free country, huh? So the Dow Jones Industrial Average is based on this news. Uh, dropped about uh, 440 points. I think it was down about 300. Now it's, I think it's down about 400 points right now. Uh, further, and the, this may account for some of the uh, lack of confidence in in the in the markets, financial markets right now, the U.S. House of Representatives passed a revised coronavirus relief bill in a largely symbolic vote on Thursday as discussions between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, they continue, but they're not uh, getting anywhere close. The bill has little chance of becoming law, and this is the one they passed in the House, since the Republicans are unlikely to bite on a $2.2 trillion price tag, even though it's nearly $1 trillion less than what Democrats originally proposed in May. Uh, Pelosi acknowledged on Thursday night that she had reached no agreement in her discussions with Mnuchin, but indicated that negotiations would continue. Let's hope so. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people hurting. We lost, what, I think about 30,000 airline employees are being laid off as a consequence of what's going on right now. So she needs to get her act together, stop being obstreperous, and start getting de- uh, making a deal uh, with Mnuchin. It's not all politics, Nancy. Uh, here locally, the uh, Florida Department of Health reported 38 new cases of COVID-19 and three additional deaths in Cuyahoga County related to COVID-19. The seven-day moving average of cases as of September 30th was 29, and uh, there are 22 COVID patients in the hospital. So again, flat the curve is flattened. There's no emergency here on the Paradise Coast, and hopefully we can keep it that way. Uh, of course, school is in, and we're just encouraged by the fact that we're not seeing a big outbreak as a result. Don't know what's going on in Israel. They're trying to take special precautions, and still... Uh, a lot of cases breaking out in Israel. Hope that's not a canary in the coal mine for us. Steve Scully is the next debate moderator. He actually worked as an intern for Joe Biden. He's now a C-SPAN. Uh, he shared an anti-Trump article on March 16th. He wrote, no, not Trump, not ever. Linked to an article in the Chinese Communist Party-linked New York Times. He's a childish man running for a job that requires maturity. He is an insecure, boasting little boy whose desires were somehow arrested at age 12. <laughs> From the next commentator, Steve Scully, he's going to be the next moderator for, I guess it's not a debate, it's a town hall, next one. But Trump is an affront to basic standards of honesty, virtue, and citizenship. He pollutes the atmosphere in which our children are raised. He has already shredded the unspoken rules of political civility that make conversation possible. It is savage regime. Public life is just a dog-eat-dog war of all against all. That's his commentary. Steve Scully, 
So, yeah, as you can see, it's not just uh, Biden. It's the mainstream media. It happens to be the next moderator, the past moderator, the deep state. He's got a lot to deal with. Uh, we all are sure that Scully will be fair and balanced as a moderator, right? I don't think so. Well, get broke or get woke or go broke. Americans are fed up, fed up with the politics and sports. Apparently overpaid, spoiled athletes kneeling during the national anthem while shoving Marxism down their fans' throats isn't a successful strategy. Game one of the NBA Finals uh, lost half of its 2019's audience, and that's with China puppet LeBron James playing in the game. I think uh, most pub, uh, professional sports are seeing attendance or viewership, because, of course, attendance is not non-existent, but uh, viewership way down. And I, I would suggest it's probably mostly because of uh, the positions they've taken with Black Lives Matter. Not, the, you know, uh, all lives matter. Every life matters. Every life is precious. But uh, Black Lives Matter happens to conflate with an anarchist group that wants the destruction of America. They're just That's just not a smart move on their part. Well, uh, polling... Uh, that includes some post-debate po uh, data, and it's good news for President Donald Trump. According to Rasmussen, after including one night of post-debate polling in its five-day rolling average, Trump's job approval rating climbed from 46 to 49 percent, while his disapproval rating dropped from 53 to 51 percent. The president's approval ran in the low 50s for 10 days, though at the end of the last week, but dropped as as low as 46% in the first three days of the week following his nomination Saturday, a federal judge Amy Coney Barrett uh, to the Supreme Court. Rasmussen adds, now his approval appears to be back on the rise again. Trump and the GOP have done a good job uh, making their case for filling the seat, so people might be settling down now and getting used to the idea. In other words, that might be more to do with Trump's post-debate approval bump than the debate itself. At this point, it's just too early to definitely say if the debate had any effect on Trump's numbers. But I suspect uh, most people feel that he won the debate. They were uh, turned off by uh, the performance of both candidates, as well as Chris Wallace, and uh, the whole demeanor of the debate itself. But nevertheless, I think Trump uh, won. And we'll see if his approval rate numbers go up in future Rasmussen reports. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at... Uh, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the uh, Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden uh, Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website
website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4100. 11 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org we'll see you at the show welcome back to the bob harden show and now here's your host bob harden thanks so much for joining us here on the show it's brought to you part by golf shore playhouse bringing you professional new york style theater at its very best and now building a wonderful Performing Arts Center in downtown down, uh, Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jesse Kelly from the R Street Institute. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. And uh, for our listeners' benefit who may not be familiar with the Cato Institute, could you tell us about it? You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. So, so much to talk about, but first of all, I just want to get your uh, thoughts and commentary on the debate on Tuesday night. Indeed. Um, Watch the debate, and I I think, like many viewers, um, wasn't satisfied, if you will. Um, And I really do think the president missed a big opportunity. Um, There's that saying, give a man enough rope and they'll hang themselves. And I think Biden was well on his way to doing so with his, frankly, nonsensical explanations of his policies. Um, But unfortunately, and and this is not news to any of your listeners, um, President Trump really didn't allow Biden to demonstrate how foolish his ideas were, because there was so much bickering on the stage, and I thought that was a missed opportunity. I think you're absolutely right. Most people I've talked to were very dissatisfied with the uh, level of of the discussion, but uh, irrespective, I think Trump probably uh, won out. We'll find out from the Rasmussen reports that his numbers are going up, so we'll see how that all turns out. So I've really been looking forward to this conversation with you because, uh, again, Judge Sullivan has, continues 
the saga of a Tales of a Thousand Nights here with uh, Lieutenant General Flynn and his case. Uh, of course, the uh, Justice Department has dropped the case against Flynn, but what's going on with Judge Sullivan? Maybe you could uh, uh, help us understand what's going on. You bet. Uh, saga of a Thousand Nights is, is entirely apt. This has been going on for three years. Um, just to update your, your listeners, and we, we, talk, we talked about this a number of Fridays, um, Flynn got railroaded by the FBI in a very politicized investigation during President Obama's lame duck. Mm. Um, subsequently, well, on reviewing that investigation, the Trump administration, the, the, the Department of Justice, has decided to drop the charges against Flynn. So we're at this point now where the government doesn't want to prosecute and certainly the defendant has no interest in there being a prosecution, and we have this adversarial system of law that is dependent upon two sides going at it. Um, notwithstanding the fact that both parties in this case, in the Flynn case, agree that the charges should be dismissed, Judge Sullivan has perpetuated this, this uh, judicial process um, for months. And, and the latest was, on Wednesday, a hearing to determine whether or not he should grant the government's motion to dismiss it. It went on for five hours. It went on from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Wow. And Judge Sullivan it, it didn't necessarily tip his hand as to what he was going to do, but he continued to... to uh, I'll put it this way. Anyone who listened to the hearing, and I did would come away with the impression that Judge Sullivan is, is very much uh, in line with the, the court-appointed lawyer. I mean, he, he'd appointed a, 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 a counsel, this John Gleason, to actually push the case, given that neither the government nor Flynn wanted it to proceed. Um, he seemed very partial to what John Gleason, his court-appointed prosecutor, um, was saying. He seemed very negative to Flynn, um, his counsel, Sidney Powell, and the government's arguments that, that hey, that there's no one to prosecute this case. I mean, how will this proceed? Um, he said at the end of the hearing, at the end of the five-hour marathon hearing, that he would act with due dispatch, um, but didn't let on anything more. The upshot is it's impossible to predict what he's going to do. Um, it seems uh, probable, even, that he won't decide until after the next election. Yeah. And were, President, or were Biden to win the next election, it brings about this, this very real possibility of Flynn having been railroaded in one administration, then having a subsequent administration say, hey, that's not right, we don't want to prosecute this, and then to be subject again to a prosecution, I mean, another flip-flop flip, um, were Biden to win and worried to, to um, sick the, the FBI on, on Flynn again. So it, it is a, it's a confusing case, and, and I apologize if that explanation wasn't no, no. Was clear, but um, kind of where it stands right now is where it stood on, on many of our prior calls, which is Judge Sullivan um, does not appear willing to, to give this case up, and Flynn per continues to twist in the wind. So, uh, to me, this appears to be judicial misconduct, misconduct on the part of Judge Emmett Sullivan. Uh, can anything be done about this? Well, indeed. So, uh, Sidney Powell, who is Flynn's, um, again, very capable counsel, but uh, she had brought up during the oral hearing sort of just how peculiar, um, how wrong, indeed, all of this is, and 
Sullivan did note to her that she has um, she has the discretion, she has the, the authority, if you will, to file a motion before the court asking for Sullivan to recuse himself. Um, she appeared during the hearing, Sidney Powell, to be uh, solicitous of that option. However, um, that could drag this case on further. So, so yeah. there would be a cost potentially to her seeking that avenue. Uh, I'll note this. It, I'm loath to say um, to impugn a judge's motives, but this does appear improper. I mean, this is the fear of prosecution in this context is over prosecution. The courts are worried about the government um, prosecuting too many people, prosecuting people that 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 didn't do anything wrong. The fear behind the the sort of the legal mechanism at play isn't um, uh, isn't getting a, a. isn't getting someone who's been railroaded off the hook. I mean, that's to put it bluntly, but yeah. it's just, uh, it's remarkable any way you look at it. I mean, again, we've got a situation where neither party in our adversarial system wants to continue with the prosecution. The judge, who is supposed to be this independent, neutral arbiter, is the only one who wants to <laughs> to pursue this prosecution. Yeah. So judicial misconduct is a very strong word. I'm, I'm loath to label it on anybody, but here it does seem somewhat apt. Absolutely. Well, uh, this is certainly plowing new ground with regard to the judicial system, but I think it illustrates how what activist judges can end up doing to uh, people's lives. It's just really unfortunate. Hey, last comment. Uh, could, can I ask you about Amy Barrett, uh, Coney Barrett's uh, path to the Senate uh, vote and her confirmation process? Any thoughts? Indeed. It's uh, cleared up a bit, but still somewhat hazy. So by the cleared up, I mean that Senator Lindsey Graham, who chairs the Senate Judiciary Committee, which would be in charge of, of the, the vetting hearings, um, he's announced that he's going to conduct hearings during uh, in late October, I think it was October 21st, when they were going to start. And those are expected to take about uh, seven to ten days. The upshot is that Graham has uh, effectively promised to deliver um, the Barrett nomination to the floor of the Senate before the election. So, the upshot is uh, Majority Leader McConnell, Mitch McConnell, will have the opportunity, if he so desires, if the GOP caucus in the Senate wants to proceed as, as, as such, um, to vote on the Barrett nomination before the election, or they could do so after the election. So uh, it's not clear what McConnell wants to do on that score. However, it is clear that or it, if Graham is to be taken at his word, and again, he's the Senate Judiciary Chair, um, that she will be delivered, that that vote will be delivered to the Senate floor before the election, and it, it does appear um, that Mitch McConnell has the votes yeah. to confirm her. Scary stuff indeed. I mean, it, 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 the, the uh, country couldn't be more on edge right now with all the issues that we're dealing with, including the debates and uh, what's happening with now, now with the uh, president uh, contracting coronavirus. William, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Cato.org is the website. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden. Uh, let's see if I can get this break door with the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting uh, Network. <laughs> Oh, 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 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the initiatives. I hope you check out the very robust website, vfga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Dr. George Markovich. He's my orthopedic surgeon. He replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I'm so grateful for uh, the great job he did. Dr. Markovich, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Dr. Markovich. So I woke up this morning. Uh, I saw that uh, the president and the first lady have contracted coronavirus, have tested positive for coronavirus. I must admit I got a little bit rattled by it. It certainly rattled the financial markets. They're down substantially in the futures. Just wanted to get your thoughts. So we deal with infectious diseases every day, and this particular infectious disease has been with us the better part of the year. Um, my thoughts are his probability of getting through this is extremely high. Yeah. Uh, he's not a drinker. He's not a smoker. The mortality rate uh, is uh, less than 1%, you know, or 1% to 2%, depending on what you want to believe. So the test that he took is probably accurate, unlike many of the other ones that were available initially. Uh, <clears throat> and to 
stay away from people, you know, the quarantining and to, you know, let it do its course, which is usually a two-week incubation period, is, is likely all it's going to take. Now, it comes at a bad time, obviously, for his uh, re-election. However, I think he's a very robust individual, and I think that uh, he's got a very, very high probability of getting through this. Remember, Bob, <clears throat> 85% uh, of, of people afflicted with this were over 70 years old, which is about 15% of the population. So it affects people like him, uh, but uh, he should do fine. I'd be more worried about maybe Obama, who was a smoker, or George W. Bush, who had a drinking history before he became a bit healthier. Um, but I think uh, the current president uh, will get through this and his first lady as well. You never know these things, but uh, our thoughts and prayers, of course, are wishing for that. Absolutely. Well, he's asymptomatic. I think that's very good news. I, I just, I just think it's probably going to create a different perspective uh, for people about coronavirus. It certainly is for me. I mean, I've, I've always felt that the, uh, uh, the response to the virus, the I, I, I return, refer to it as a pandemic of fear. People are, I think, which is more contagious than the virus itself. But here, the president of the United States actually has the virus. It's uh, all of a sudden, it's, it's kind of, it's, uh, it's, it's unsettling. Well, he's tested positive for something that millions of people have been exposed to, and it's all about ease of transmissibility. You know, I, I, I heard an interesting comment the other day from uh, one of the uh, proponents of Biden uh, saying, you know, how he handled the Ebola virus, and that's why he would do such a great job with COVID. I thought it was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Uh, you know, the, the thing about uh, COVID, which... Uh, is a little different than SARS or MERS or certainly Ebola, is the ease of transmissibility. And as you just pointed out, many, many asymptomatic people uh, uh, have uh, the virus. And it's, if you're in an area where it's circulating indoors, uh, then, you know, you, you wear a mask and you keep your distance and you wash your hands and all that. Um, but if you're outside and going about your business, the chance of you uh, having a problem is exceedingly low. Now, in contradistinction, Ebola virus is a very deadly disease, but it's really hard to get, and it's only transmissible through bodily fluids in a certain stage of disease, and those people aren't going anywhere. Yeah. They're too sick. Okay, so to, to say that, you know, uh, somebody can handle something because they did it one way when it's a completely different situation another way is ludicrous, and I think that's kind of the political rhetoric and the world in which we live in, which even science is becoming political. Uh, great uh, summary, Doctor. I'm, I'm just wondering about, uh, you know, people say we should uh, wear masks. And uh, I just wonder, you know, that with all the precautions at the White House and t the testing that's going on and so forth, uh, do masks really prevent or in any way inhibit the coronavirus, the spread of the coronavirus? Uh, it's an excellent question. The uh, data is very soft. I think uh, uh, this investigative reporter, Alex Berenson, uh, uh, has written about this recently and summarized the data. And when you look at it, uh, we don't know. Mm -hmm. um, it's better than probably nothing. But if you're indoors in an area where the virus is likely to be in a higher concentration and circulating... You know, I wear a mask the majority of my professional life, Yeah, you know, in the operating room and 
uh, in areas where uh, people have uh, communicable or transmissible, you know, diseases, uh, because I want to keep people safe from me, and I want to be safe from them. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a bad thing? No, but is it necessary uh, in most situations? Absolutely not. And, and, you know, people are getting a little crazy about this, and, and the truth of the matter is <clears throat> we have more bacteria and viral uh, elements on our bodies than we do human cells. Yeah. And uh, how that equilibrium plays out usually is favorable for the host, us. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, with coronavirus, it's the same thing. So uh, even in the worst circumstances, the mortality rate is really, really low. And we just have to be prudent and reasonable when we're dealing with it. Right now, that's hard to do because you don't know what to believe. Thank you, Doctor. And one other question about, about masks. I mean, I've heard that uh, wearing a mask uh, for a substantial period of time can in- actually inhibit your own immune system. Well, I think there may be something to that, you know, and <clears throat> certainly breathing in the CO2 and, and breathing uh, some of the things that uh, you can get exposed to during the day and, and, you know, what kind of mask you wear and how you wear it and things like that. I, I think the main thing, Bob, is... Uh, trying to educate yourself on how to improve your immune system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is nutrition. That's sleep. That's managing stress. That is staying away from, you know, dangerous situations with a lot of viral circulation and a lot of, uh, you know, potential dangers. And, and so um, I, I think that if people do that, uh, you're going to be okay. Even in the worst set of circumstances, which was this cruise ship, the Diamond Princess, uh, where everybody was exposed to some super spreaders. You know, kids get this, uh, but they're healthy. Yeah. But 8% of them spread it around pretty rapidly. And when they're asymptomatic and they're, you know, hug their grandparents who have diabetes and uh, obesity, those grandparents are going to get in trouble. Yeah. But even in that cruise ship, the mortality rate was, I think, very, very, very low. Yeah. And everybody was exposed. So um, I think that you can go crazy thinking the worst, or you can be realistic and go on with your life. And I think that that's what we have to do. Uh, Most states that have a high mortality rate mismanaged it and look up those states that had a, a, a high unemployment and a high mortality rate yeah um you know that is something that perhaps we have to look at a little bit more carefully before we vote well, you know what i'm so grateful uh for having governor DeSantis making the decisions he's made so far i mean as far as i'm concerned i think it should be a personal decision about managing your own health and uh, when you have uh decrees coming from above <laughs> It reduces our ability to make those decisions, and it's just not, I don't think it's right. Dr. Markovich, I want to just uh, end the interview by thanking you so much for what you've done for me uh, as a result of uh, your care over the course of several years, because I didn't go in immediately get my knees replaced, but uh, over time, you certainly helped me, and I'm just so grateful uh, for the help that you gave me. I had both of my knees replaced in 2006 by Dr. Markovich. He did a great job. 4825399. Is that the correct number, doctor? 
I believe so. <laughs> I think it's four eight two five three nine nine. Give Doctor Markovich a call if you got any joints that don't feel good, and uh, if you're dealing with pain, especially a joint pain, it's just makes your life miserable. My wife got, got tired of listening to me groan, so that was one of the things, the <laughs> impetus of getting my knees replaced. So Dr. Markovich, again, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. My pleasure, Bob. It's all about quality of life. It certainly is. Thank you, doctor. By the way, he, he recommends uh, not uh, making sure that you're doing something to stay out of pain because it's not healthy to be in pain. Again, uh, 482-5399 is the number. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jessie Kelly. She is uh, with the R Street Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Here in the commercial for St. Matthew's House, which is a terrific organization, it reminds me of uh, the Lulabee's Diner, who does a great job of supporting St. Matthew's House, and uh, located in the Green Tree Shopping Center, great breakfast or lunch, visit Lulabee's Diner. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bego, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Jessie Kelly. She's with the R Street Institute. Jessie, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Good morning. Good morning, Jesse. Tell us about the R Street Institute. Yeah, the R Street Institute is a nonprofit, nonpartisan public policy research organization, and I work on our criminal justice and civil liberties policy team, where we work across the ideological spectrum to provide policymakers 
with reform ideas that prioritize human dignity, public safety, and individual liberty. Very noble purpose, Jesse, and uh, sounds like you're having fun with your work with the uh, bounce in your voice. So uh, we have a situation here in Florida. We passed Amendment 4. Amendment 4 provides for felon voting. Uh, One of the strings attached to felon voting is once you've completed uh, your time, you also have to pay off any kind of fines and fees that have been associated with the sentencing, and that's become a real, uh, a real hot potato here in Florida. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, the Archery Institute signed on to an amicus brief in the case that's been moving through the court system on this issue, Jones versus DeSantis. So we've been paying particularly close attention, and you highlighted the biggest problem, that there's no statewide database of court fees that would bar an individual from voting. And to find out whether or not they owe money, a person would have to check pretty much themselves individually with county court clerks in the place where they were, you know, convicted of a crime. And sometimes courts, you know, human error, have failed to keep accurate records of who owes financial obligations and who's already paid those. So what I'm hearing you say is uh, being able to uh, access the information could be difficult for the state to to verify the fact that fines or fees have been paid. Just out of curiosity, isn't it? Wouldn't it be appropriate to ask the uh, felon who's looking to vote uh, to make sure that they can check their own records and get to make sure that the uh, fines have been paid? In some cases, I mean, they may not have even attempted to do so. Right. I think that is perfectly fair. And the problem comes in uh, with timelines. So if you have, if you've been convicted of a crime, say after about. 2002-2005, then it's quite likely that your records are going to be in some sort of electronic database. But if you have a prior conviction that's before, say, 2000, it might be a little more difficult to find that mm-hmm. information online. Um, and actually, a couple of Georgetown law professors have built a website to try to help people in Florida. It's called freeourvote.com, and that's really what they're finding. There is a distinct difference in uh, keeping track of those paper records from 20 years ago um, versus more recent convictions and, and terms of those convictions. So, uh, Jesse, then, uh, I'm one for law and order, and uh, you know this is a constitutional amendment. You don't take these things lightly. Uh, and it mandates that uh, people pay their fines and fees. Oh, I'm sure you've got a solution in mind. What would you suggest? Sure. I, I mean, the solution is that you don't hinge your eligibility to vote based on fines and fees. And certainly people who have committed a crime, I agree with you, um, must you know fulfill the punishment that's associated with, with breaking the law. Um But the bottom line really is that no matter what political party you're part of, you know, whether or not you do have a conviction or not, uh, you should know if you're legally allowed to vote. Yes. And it shouldn't be so hard because that's, you know, the democracy that we're trying to build. And right now, there's just a lot of confusion with people in Florida about whether or not they can actually you know, go to the polls legally. And and that's a big question, and I think it produces a lot of fear in people with former, uh, you know, felony convictions because if if you vote illegally, then that itself is another felony. Well, I'm, I'm ignorant about many of these issues. Thankfully, I've not been associated or involved in the judicial, uh, in the system. So, uh, but my question would be, wouldn't a felon uh, know uh, personally whether they owe fees or fines or not? 
perhaps. Um, perhaps. Again, it sort of goes back to the timeline of when the offense occurred. But often uh, a person may finish their term of probation or parole and not be done paying off fines and fees. And so when a court seeks to get that money back from an individual, oftentimes they will go through traditional debt collectors. And through the course of years in life, people move and people change phone numbers. And so it can happen that an individual Mm. thinks that because they're not being contacted by the court, they no longer owe these fines and fees. Um, But in fact, that has been transferred over to a debt collector and there are some additional money still owed. Interesting. So, again, uh, would your proposition then would be for uh, the courts to forgive uh, this requirement of the law, of the, of the Amendment 4? Right. So Amendment 4 didn't actually articulate itself that fines and fees were part of completing the, um, the you know, the Amendment 4 said you have to complete your sentence, your terms of your sentence, and the state legislature came back in during that next session and added that that meant, in fact, that you had to pay off all your fines and fees. So I think, uh, you know, our position is that that extra legislative action Mm. was unnecessary. Thanks for clarifying that. Out of curiosity, would it be possible that somebody actually was assessed fines or fees and not given a jail sentence? Oh, certainly. Uh, Yes, especially for misdemeanors. But often if you are not given a jail sentence and a fining fee, it's quite low. Um, A misdemeanor fining fee is usually, you know, below $2,000. And I know that sounds like a lot of money, but compared to some of the other fines and fees that are associated with felonies, it's it's on the lower spectrum of things. I understand. Now, a misdemeanor is not a felony, though, is it? Oh, no, no, no. Okay, so, uh, uh, again, this is all confusing to me. This is new information, and uh, Jesse, you make a good case. I certainly appreciate your point of view about this. You certainly don't want to be unfair to somebody who's earned the right to to vote, having paid their debt to society, but uh, I guess I'm still a little stuck on people being able to to, uh, fulfill the requirements of the sentence, so... We'll see how this all turns out. I, I, again, it's a good thing that I'm not making the decision. I guess the court system will be who, Will it be the Supreme Court of, uh, of uh, Florida? So um, right now it's gone back and forth. Uh, yes, I think that, you know, there was a U.S. District Court ruling in May. Uh, and so that's in question about will that be appealed? Uh, will it be appealed to a federal court? Um, and then, you know, maybe will the U.S. Supreme Court have to be involved? So interesting. Uh, I'm sure the R Street Institute has a website. We do. It's rstreet.org, like R in the letter R. rstreet.org is the website. Jesse, just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and now building a brand-new, wonderful performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website, Gulf Shore Playhouse. Dot org. We have with us Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. He's also the owner of Executive Management Services, doing business in over 40 states with over 6,000 employees. Well, union bosses from FCIU approached him and said, hey, we want you to sign a neutrality agreement so we can unionize uh, your business. And uh, now, neutrality agreement, that sounds pretty benign, but it's actually giving the, uh, the union bosses the right to sign up individual uh, uh, employees uh, for the union, and once they got 50% plus one, while well, out, they're unionized. Now, those tactics that these folks use are not exactly noble, as you can find out by reading the book. Dave refused to do that, and the consequence is uh, they ended up attacking him, his business, his customers, and all kinds of people because they didn't want to have a secret ballot. And Dave prevailed and wrote a book about it, The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bob. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Dave. And, uh, First of all, I just want to ask you, uh, any uh, union activity going on with the with the uh, uh, election going on right now? Well, yeah, I don't know if you saw, but the unions um, have talked about, uh, uh, behind the scenes, they're uh, providing the Democratic Party about uh, $2, two billion in um, uh, funds to two- help beat Trump. And, um, you know, they're really after it because they want to bring this country down, turn it into a socialist communist country they can control and they're out there really pushing this hard and the reason is bob they continue to lose membership across the country and under the trump administration you know 
he's doing he's changing regulations to make the unions be more accountable for what they do. In fact, uh, the Department of Labor just proposed a new rule to protect union workers that um, will will make the unions uh, make their financials um, expose their financials so everybody knows what they're spending the money on. Wow! And that they're using the money for the right thing to uh, take care of the membership and not for political purposes boy is that long overdue i would love to see something like that dave is that uh, who is that the national labor relations board or who's is that sounds like it's going to require legislation well that's the u.s department of labor office of management standards and um, um they, they just posted it it's a proposed one that they're going to try and get past here and um it's um you know th- there was there was a Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act back in 1959, but it would increase and enhance the financial transparency um, uh, that the unions have to show. And this would be great for the um, um, the employees, members of the unions. It certainly would. Uh, and again, they would love to have a President Biden in office because uh, they're so friendly to the unions, and I'm quite certain that they would be laying the groundwork for increasing the union membership because that increases the amount of money coming back to the Democrat Party for future elections. Oh, it would. The, uh, there's no doubt the National Labor Relations Board would be changed, and uh, they would completely reverse things that Trump has done, and they'd, they'd put into effect more things that make the unions uh, all in power. And um, that's what this is all about. And um, we've got to make sure, we've got to get our president to win the election and the Senate to retain the Senate. Republicans to retain the Senate. Yeah, you know, it's 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 apparently it's very clear to me that so many forces are against President Trump right now. You can see certainly Biden is doing what he can, and all the lies that were told during the debate the other night. I, I quite frankly thought that the president responded appropriately, given that uh, Biden and uh, Chris Wallace, in my opinion, were simply trying to corner him and trying to uh, really degrade and uh, his his. Uh, his candidacy as a repeat run for the for the presidency. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I agree with you. Um, you know, Wallace is a he, he he's a liberal, and um, uh, he, he was on you know, Biden's side. And Biden, um, you know, he he really didn't come out and say anything that was really purposeful, good things for the American people. He just attacked Trump and, you know, calling him a liar and all those type of things. And, uh, how about, how I, about, how about Antifa is an, is an idea. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I mean, just all the things he said. And, um, I, I read an article in the Arizona Freedom Alliance that, uh, the Democrats actually had an implant in, um, in Biden, uh, so they could tell him what to say and not to say and what to do and what not to do. And they just wanted to kind of be quiet and attack Trump. And, but the thing I, is, is that I thought Trump should have been more professional in how he responded and, and handled that, and um, yeah. you know because that that makes him bad look bad to people that are on the line. Yeah, uh, whether, whether they want to go Democratic or Republican, and he needs to come back as a professional person that uh, supports the people in that, and not a guy that's up there hacking away at uh, uh, Biden and, yeah. and the De- Democratic Party. I guess my question would be, do you really think that there are undecided voters at this point? Yeah, I do. I huh. do. I think there's some on the line. I've, I've even talked to some here in Indiana. Um, uh, they were, they didn't like how Biden wasn't responding to much in that. But, uh, you know, Biden was a little, had a little more energy than he normally has. And he didn't stutter quite as much. But 
they say that's because they had him on some some drug and and, and you know this implant. But uh, Trump <laughs> is you know Trump was just his face. He he looked angry all the time. He was rolling his eyes, and um, you know he he came in and he really interrupted and really smacked at uh, Biden and. You know, one of the ways that I beat the SEIU, because they did a few debates with me, is, and I stood in, you know, like down in Cincinnati in, in a big uh, space in, in the city council. They had a big debate there because they wanted to hear me and they had all kinds of people there. And the SEIU, you know, they came out and they used the same tactics against me, lies and that, and called me a bigot and racist and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I had a bunch of information that I had put together. And I was very professional about it. I didn't, I didn't yell back at them or anything like that. But I exposed the lies that they were talking about uh, on the information I had. And I and the people there, I said, you can look at this stuff. But here's where you go to look it up. And it's all true. Yeah. And it, it, by the end of the debate, the SEIU just bowed their heads and walked out. See, uh, well, that's, that's so interesting. The only thing I'll say in retort to that would be that it, for President Trump, it worked last time in the last election. I mean, his behavior <laughs> in the last election was pretty abhorrent. So uh, he's, he's certainly continuing that theme. But I think your recommendations are, are right on. And most responsible critique that I've heard absolutely matches up uh, with yours. Uh, one other thing, now, the president has contracted coronavirus. Uh, any thought at all about that? Yeah, it's really sad, and I think that uh, the left and Biden are going to use that against him now because they said he has, you know, they've been saying all along that he hasn't done a good job, and he's he's the problem with all this pandemic and all that kind of stuff, and now they're going to say, see, he couldn't even take care of himself, and I think they're going to really attack him. Of course, he's asymptomatic. Uh, he and his, uh, both he and the first lady have uh, reported that they do have the virus. They've contracted it, but they don't have any symptoms at all. So, which is good news. And of course, they're going to have great, great care. Apparently, this uh, Hicks—I've forgotten her, her first name—but uh, she had the, uh, the virus, and she traveled with him on three occasions yep. on Air Force One. So perhaps she's the one that transmitted it. But uh, I think they're going to take every precaution in the world. Futures are down right now. The markets are not happy about that but uh, they're also not happy about the fact that uh nancy pelosi is not working with mnuchin and getting some sort of a coronavirus uh, deal going so uh that's not good news either no it's not and um you know the, the thing is with the president um you know um you know the, the left and and biden they want to lock the country down again and uh, they're going to use this as a as a big um point for that and that could help them in some areas, but could hurt them in other areas. So that's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Absolutely. Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. I hope you take a look at the book. I enjoyed reading the book so much. I was shocked by the behavior that that uh, Dave described in his book by SEIU uh, union bosses, and you will be too. Of course, I'm shocked to see the behavior of what the Democrats are doing in Portland and other places too. So Dave, uh, his book is kind of a canary in the coal mine about the future uh, if, in fact, the unions and the Democrat Party gets gets their way. Go to devil, uh, the com is the website. You can get a copy of the book on my website, BobHarden.com, and, of course, at any uh, book purveyor. Uh, Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, yeah, and just one last comment. People need to get the book and read it quickly because all the tactics that are going on across this country, the riots and the, all the stuff that are being said in the press against the president and everything are all the same tactics they use against me, 
And behind the scenes, the SEIU and Soros and, and other leftists are the ones that are controlling this. And this is their agenda and, ta and tactics. Absolutely. Again, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care, Bob. You too. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. We're going to have great guests on Monday. Mark Schulman is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Uh, we'll be talking about current global events. We'll be visiting with Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. He'll be joining us as well. And Jim McTagg. Jim is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, but he also has written a couple of great murder mysteries located in Washington, D.C. Uh, follow the Leader and the sequel, uh, Shake the Money Tree. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>